everyone. Welcome you back to another edition of The Less Stressed Life, where we teach exhausted and burnt out adults the truth about adrenal fatigue so that they can get their health back quickly. And today we're doing a little bit of a field trip podcast today because I am walking outside in sunny Boca Raton, Florida in the middle of the afternoon because I had a couple of cancellations and I wanted to record this week's podcast of The Less Stressed Life. I don't have a guest, but what I want to do is I want to share with you three major adrenal fatigue biohacks that you aren't doing that will make a huge profound difference in your exhaustion and fatigue. So once again, my name is Dr. Joel Rosen, and the website that we have is called The Truth About Adrenal Fatigue. And the reason why we called it The Truth About Adrenal Fatigue is because it's such a terrible term. It really is. And it doesn't mean that you're not exhausted, or you don't have low libido, or motivation, or drive, or you're not handling stress very well, or you don't crash in the middle of the day, or you're more wired and tired at night, or you wake up with little energy in the morning. All those things are going on. But the actual term called adrenal fatigue very seldomly goes on. And, and I, you've probably heard this, me say this many times, but maybe you haven't, that given that it's a terrible term, when traditional allopathic endocrine doctors, family physicians, gastrointestinal doctors, internal medicine doctors, hear the term adrenal fatigue, it almost makes the hair on their arms stand up. And the reason that is, is because they didn't learn that in, in medical school. It's not in the peer-reviewed journals. And if it's not taught or studied or operationalized, and operationalized means given a great definition that you can actually test for in peer-reviewed journals, then it doesn't exist. And what traditional doctors will do, which is a, is a triage, like think about the, the medics in the army. They triage the troops that come in, and, they, and hospitals do that too, where if you are having a bleeding neck injury, you need to be attended to first. And if you have a cut, you don't need to be attended to as, as quick. So it is with a faulty adrenal insufficiency. And that's the term that traditional doctors accept. They accept the fact that if they do an ACTH stimulation test and they give you a pituitary hormone that signals your adrenals to make, amongst other things, of adrenal hormones, aldosterone, cortisol, other types of glucocorticoids, uh, and it doesn't output a minimal amount of cortisol, then it is called adrenal insufficiency. And if it does have a response, then there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. So it's black or white. You either have an insufficiency or you don't. And that's good for 1970s or 60s or 50s healthcare, when we didn't have as much environmental triggers or social media or EMFs and Wi-Fi or depleted nutrients in our soils or 
elect uh, politicians and the way that the biased information that's, that media portrays to you creates such polarization of, of people, meaning it's like everyone's out against everyone. And as a result, when that is going on and you're not giving a shade of gray to what you have going on just because you didn't fail an adrenal fatigue insufficiency test doesn't mean you don't need to be attended to. And so we are going to talk about the three hacks that I want you to do, but I still want to go back into the truth about adrenal fatigue and how it's such a terrible term because there are so many things that can go wrong with the signaling, the utilization, and the, the processing of the nutrients that cortisol makes or what the adrenal glands output that just to say that you're not, you're producing enough or you're not producing not enough, sorry, I shouldn't use double negatives, but just because you have enough cortisol and that you don't have too little doesn't mean you have an adrenal problem, doesn't mean you don't have it. You have an HPA axis dysfunction. Let me give you an example. Today I did a, a, a Dutch review on a 55-year-old female and typically I want them to fill out the questionnaires that we give them, metabolic assessment forms, send me their last two years of blood work, let's, me, let's look at your timeline and history so that I can look at that prior to looking at the Dutch test to give the Dutch test some context because the Dutch test is a great test. It stands for the dried urine total cortisol and hormone test. And we send that all over the world. We've sent that to Australia, to Germany, to Spain, all over Canada and US. And it's in a really easy kit. It's a dried sample. So you take your urine at dinner time, at bedtime, when you first wake up and two hours later, and if you happen to pee at night, you will take that overnight sample as well. And then it will look at your different hormones. And I'll get into that in a second. But if I'm just looking at that, and I'm not looking at your questionnaires, and I'm not looking at your health history, and I'm not looking at your blood work, I can see the result of stress on your body, but I can't really come up with a lot of hard specific details on why it's playing out like that because that's requiring me to be a doctor and conduct a thorough history and correlate how you're feeling with what you're doing with what you've done with what you've experienced and with what your objective labs tell you to put that Dutch test into context so we did the the Dutch test review the 55 year old female I'll give you a little bit of information She's exhausted, she's tired, she's burnt out. She thinks she has lots of co-infections like Lyme and EBV and HSV1, different, different viral infections. And she didn't send me any blood work and she didn't fill out my questionnaires. And she let me know that she has uh, concerns for fatigue and immune dysregulation. And so we went over her Dutch test and I'll tell you some of the findings we saw on it. So the first finding is 
it does look at your cortisol rhythm. And cortisol should be on a circadian rhythm. It should be nice and high in the morning and low in the evening. So when the sun rises in the morning, your cortisol awakening response should double. You should have a real high output of cortisol and then it should come down throughout the rest of the day. And in her instance, she did have a cortisol awakening response, which is good. It wasn't as, as abundant as it should be, but it wasn't flatlined either. And a lot of the clients that I work with have really, really flatlined cortisol awakening responses. And the research does show with flatlined cortisol awakening responses, that's where you'll see a lot of, of chronic health challenges. In fact, the lower the cortisol awakening response, the increase in morbidity and mortality. So anyways, she told me, you know, I have been doing a lot better over the years. And I said, well, that's interesting because now that I know that, and now that I see that you have an awakening response, although it's not as abundant as we'd really like to see it, I could suggest that your trajectory is getting better, right? Because you're telling me you're getting better. I asked you as a doctor, you're telling me it's gotten better. So I would assume that had we done this test a year or two years ago, we would have seen the cortisol awakening response be flatlined. So good news is you have a awakening response that is getting you ready for the day. You're re-coordinating your circadian rhythm with the cortisol output. You're getting calibrated to the earth. And that's really what you want at the end of the day when you're exhausted and you're burnt out and you may be told that there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue or it's a crappy term or your blood tests come back normal or you didn't fail an ACTH, ACTH stimulation test, you can bet that you are not coordinated with the circadian rhythm. Your cortisol is not abundant in the morning. It's not getting that increase in, in the first waking hours and then it's not coming down, it's dysregulated. It might be low, then high, or it might be a roller coaster ride because there's blood sugar imbalances and it's low, then high, then low, then high. You can tell by the curve of that circadian rhythm what may be going on. So in her case, the good news was that her circadian rhythm was not flatlined. She had an awakening response. The other thing that we noticed was her free fraction was a lot lower than her metabolized cortisol. And what does that mean? You're not gonna see this on a saliva test because the saliva test only looks at your free fraction. And that's what, in this example, that awakening response, the graph, the representation of the Dutch test, that's what that is telling us about the free fraction. But what it also tells us is the metabolized cortisol for that time period. So if you start the test at dinner time and it's five or 6 p.m., then you go to bed, then you wake up to pee, then you wake up in the morning, and two hours later, the total of all the cortisol that's bound to a protein and that's not bound to a protein is called your metabolized cortisol. So it's how much cortisol did you produce for the day? And in her, her expectation, because she thought she had adrenal fatigue, that would have been the marker that should have been really low. People that are exhausted and burnt out and can no longer signal the HPA axis to output cortisol, they'll have really low metabolized cortisol. 
in her instance, she had really high metabolized cortisol, but the ratio of that to the free fraction was a lot more skewed. And that's a really important test finding. So if you've done a Dutch test, go back and relook at it and see if your output of metabolized cortisol was much higher than your free fraction. If it is, it means that your HPA axis is still upregulated. You're still signaling from the brain because of stress, because of inflammation, because of blood sugar imbalances, because of just overwhelm and what I call demand and supply problems. Because of all of those things going on, your brain still needs to put out a lot of cortisol, or at least your brain needs cortisol hormone to function properly because it has the highest priority of getting that hormone in the body. But what is also happening at the cellular level, at the level at which the tissues, the, the GI system, the working muscles, the heart, the lungs, the kidneys, they are doing things to deactivate or not utilize all the cortisol that you're producing. And that's a really le big lesson that a lot of practitioners miss. And that comes with just doing so many of these tests, not only for my clients, but for myself too, because I've suffered with my own exhaustion problem. So why would your body do that? Well, your body's infinitely intelligent and it knows more about what's going on at the cellular level than any doctor does and that you do and any textbook does. It is the absolute truth. And when your body is getting too much cortisol to um, over too much time because of too many stressors, then it comes up with these protective backup mechanisms to make sure that you're not catabolically breaking down all your tissues. Because it's like cashing in your mutual funds. You are, you are depleting your stored your stored energy, you're depleting your minerals, because that's what your adrenals are called. They're called your mineral corticoids. And what you're doing is when you signal to the adrenals, you're signaling, hey, we need you to make our fluid levels available. We need to get all those minerals out of the cells and drive energy production because we have a crisis here. But then at the cellular level, we see that your body is either making more proteins and not allowing that free fraction to be free. It's binding it to a protein, so it takes away the availability of the free cortisol. It doesn't mean you're not producing a lot of cortisol. In this case, she was producing a lot of cortisol. She is just going into a protective mode to not utilize it. And there's a lot of different mechanisms our body does to do that. It makes more binding proteins. It deactivates cortisol into cortisone which is shown on that test where on page three or four, you're looking at the ratio of cortisone to cortisol. I tell clients that cortisone is the inactive form of cortisol. So what happens is your brain signals to your adrenals, hey, make a lot of cortisol. That's your metabolized cortisol for the given time period. But when you look at the free fraction and you see it's a lot down-regulated, then you can see that your body's doing some things to protect that. A lot of the times the, the Dutch test people will tell you that that can happen when there's a lot of adipose tissue because adipose tissue can produce more cortisol. 
which is new findings nowadays. Um, but with the 11 beta HSD, what it's doing is it's saying, hey, instead of being a deployed troop and go to the war, what we want you to do is be an army reservist. And we want you to be deactivated into cortisone. And I see that a lot of times with people that have an upregulated cortisol metabolized HPA axis going haywire. And, and we'll tell you at the end here three biohacks that you can do to be able to support this as well. So going back into her test, she wanted to know, okay, does this mean I have adrenal fatigue then? And I say, no, it doesn't mean you have adrenal fatigue. Remember, A, it's a crappy term um, because very seldom will you ever fail an ACTH test. But people that present with down-regulated HPA axis, XI is when I see that your total metabolized cortisol is low, your total free fraction is low, and even your DHEA is low. So on this particular test, it shows that her metabolized cortisol was really high. Her free total, her, her total free was um, down-regulated and not being utilized because of extra proteins and heat shock proteins and even deactivation of cortisol into cortisone to be the, to, to be the active reserve. All those things were deactivating her cortisol. But on top of that now, her total DHEA, her total estrogen, and her total progesterone, and her total testosterone were all low. And she felt that. She felt like she had hormone imbalances, no, no mood, no libido, no motivation, no drive. And I'll tell her, like, what happens is when your brain is signaling so much to make cortisol, it upregulates the priority of cortisol and it downregulates the priority or the receptors to make your sex hormones. And that would make sense, right? Like if I'm under stress uh, and I have a, a lot of fires to put out and a low amount of firefighting ability to do that, I'm not going on vacation, right? And that's kind of the analogy I use is if I have a lot of oxidative stress, metabolic overwhelm, inflammation, HPA axis upregulation, I am not worried about reproduction at the end of the day. So I told her the best answer is you don't have adrenal fatigue on here. You have maladaptive adrenals, maladaptive adrenals, meaning your HPA axis is upregulated and that needs to be investigated. That's where I needed more information, looking at blood work and seeing inflammatory markers, regulation of iron, liver enzymes, cholesterol, cholesterol utilization, white blood cells, red blood cells, electrolytes, proteins, so many things that you can get insight into as to what may be causing that HPA axis regulation or dysregulation. I said, you have HPA axis, HPA axis dysregulation, and as a result, your body is, is, is kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul in terms of sex hormones are not being produced and you're not utilizing your cortisol as effectively, but yet your body is also overproducing it. 
And that's a stressful thing to happen where the alarms are sounding, everyone's being signaled, but then you're not able to utilize all of the actors in the play because there's just too much chaos going on. And as a result, you feel low, you feel demotivated, you don't have energy, your libido's down, but guess what? Your ACTH stimulation test is not negative, right? I mean, these are the things that we see. And again, I'm gonna get to the give me the three clinical pearls here in a second. I just wanna continue with this example. So then we looked on the next page and we saw that her, her, um, her estrogen levels were low. But what we look at is how does she metabolize? How does she clear out and eliminate her estrogens? Because we can get a lot of information on phase one and phase two detox, even if she has very low estrogen to clear out, which she did. And she would, right? Because at the end of the day, she's 55. She stopped having her cycle when she was 40, in her 40s and her estrogen and her ovaries and her reproductive system is not producing as much sex hormones and she's low on that. The other thing I'm concerned about is she has really high cholesterol, which she told me. My concern is, is that that cholesterol that's really high should be able to convert into pregnenolone, progesterone, estrogen. And if she has any GI issues of absorbing cholesterol, or even genetic susceptibilities of utilizing cholesterol, then that can cause her hormones to be low as well. So I told her I wanted to look at her ancestry test, which she happens to have, and then I wanted to look at her fatty acid metabolism and see if she has some of these gene SNPs. Some of the gene SNPs would be PEMT, FADS, ACAT, um, SLC20A5. There's a lot of gene SNPs that can really muck up her ability to use her cholesterol. And as a result, she has this upregulated stress demand for her HPA axis. She's robbing Peter to pay Paul, but at the same time, she's not even supplying enough nutrients for Peter and Paul. And it's hard to rob Peter from Paul when Peter and Paul don't have much money to begin with. And again, that would lead to her to be exhausted and fatigued and burned out and overwhelmed, yet she's negative on her HPA axis. Um, sorry, on her ACTH stimulation test. And there's no such thing as adrenal fatigue. And you could see here how we get so much more information from looking at a Dutch test, putting your doctor hat on, asking a person how they're feeling, and wanting to know about their past tests so that we can customize a recovery strategy around all of that. And so what happened in her case was she had a upregulated 4-OH pathway. And in English, what that means is that's the unhealthy estrogen pathway. And that can be upregulated because of inflammation, because of stress, because of all the things that would cause her, her, her HPA axis to be going off would be the same stress and triggers that would cause her estrogen metabolism to go down the wrong inflammatory pathway. And this is where women that have estrogen-like cancers go down this pathway and they get concerned about taking estrogen hormones because they are upregulating that 4-OH pathway, which ultimately creates a lot of DNA damage. And so I told her, well, the good news is 
you have so low estrogen anyways, even though if you're going down that pathway, you're, you're not creating so much load on your detox pathways that can't handle it and ultimately end up um, oxidizing and creating DNA damage. But we still want to support that. And one of the things that we see best to support that is the use of cruciferous vegetables and sulforaphane. If you're looking on where to get some good quality, high organic, certified grade sulforaphane, drop me a message because we are starting to produce that now and send that all over the world. We're really excited about that. On top of that, on the last page of the Dutch test, we look at the organic acid markers. And one of the organic acid markers that were really low for this particular patient was her pyroglutamate. And pyroglutamate is a marker of how able is this patient able to keep up with inflammation control, stress, and inflammation. Because that's really what glutathione is produced for. Glutathione is produced when we have toxins, stress, inflammation, and the need to control cortisol or to control inflammation and make cortisol. And, and that's going to be one of the major strategies I'm going to recommend in terms of biohacking your adrenal fatigue challenges. But I just want you to get the overview of how we came up with these three strategies. So again, that correlated with her upregulation of her HPA axis, her downregulation of utilizing it, her robbing Peter to pay Paul, so to speak, with her sex hormones falling, and how she was metabolizing estrogen going down one of the inflammatory pathways, and now having low glutathione. And I told her, like, she, th she said to me, do you think the glutathione is, the inflammation is high because the glutathione is low, or do you think it's the other way around? And I said to her, it's kind of like asking, do you think that the water is depleted because the fire is burning? And I would say, yeah, like that's what it is mostly. Like if you have oxidative stress, you already know you have these viruses that reoccur and you've had other challenges in your life and you really haven't looked at your genetics and maybe your blood sugar is not staying stable, but you've come a long way and you've gotten better. One of the things I would recommend is using sulforaphane, which is the main ingredient in supporting your NERF2 and your glutathione output, which I would bet the world she has some gene snips on those, meaning her body's not able to signal those effectively and she's gonna need lifelong support with that. Um, but the glutathione being low, her going down that four pathway suggests that she needs that inflammation control. And that was one of the main things that we recommended. The other thing we recommended is she wanted to know, can she take her seven keto DHEA? And I did recommend that. Now, I haven't seen research, and you can call me out on this if you found it yourself, that shows that the 7-keto DHEA is any better than the other um, like DHEA forms. And, um, but I said, listen, 50 milligrams for 30 days is a good strategy based on the fact that your DHEA is really low, your estrogen is really low, your progesterone is low, and your testosterone's low. Now, she said, what about pregnenolone? And I said, I wouldn't necessarily rush for pregnenolone because your, what was in there, the astute listener will say, well, what was in there that would, wouldn't have let you rush to that? And it's the fact that 
the HPA axis was upregulated. She was making a lot of metabolized cortisol. Cortisol was not her problem. Making too much of it and utilizing it and dampening down the stress signals was her problem. Pregnenolone's not going to fix that. If anything, pregnenolone could create a bigger disparity between the two. Does, does that make sense? I hope that makes a lot of sense. So we didn't recommend that. And then the other thing we recommended was, hey, get us those blood tests. I mean, we need to see the blood tests. And the other great news was she had already an ancestry test. So we're going to be doing that ancestry test review. But we gave her four weeks of marching orders. And the four weeks of marching orders is to use the sulforaphane. I even recommended the glutathione for her, even though I haven't seen her genetic susceptibilities. And that's really key when I'm looking at someone's glutathione production, because I want to know, are they able to make it? Is their transulfuration pathway working acceptably or not? Are they able to recycle the glutathione? Are they able to to synthesize it with other raw materials or ingredients? And are they able to, um, uh, to be able to utilize it? And, and there are gene susceptibilities that will make that very difficult to be able to do. And um, in this case, I need to see that on her genetics. But I still recommended doing the liposomal glutathione. I recommended doing the sulforaphane. I recommended doing the seven keto DHEA. That would not have been my first choice, but I'm pro-patient and I don't want them to go out and buy a supplement when they already have a whole bunch of supplements in their, in their pantry. And that's something that drives me crazy. When I work with clients and if we can come up with uh, a strategy that already utilizes the nutrients in their pantry, then why the heck not? Because ultimately those are expensive products that you could be utilizing but just more intelligently and this is what we wanted to do and so that's what we're going to do and there's a lot sorry about that got a little excited there drop the phone do not drop the phone when you're doing the podcast um, but anyways um, there's a lot of great information in there and the Dutch test. And the other thing we saw in her Dutch test, which was helpful, which we didn't really get into too much, was that her VMA ratios were really low. And VMA really is vandalmandolate. It is an organic acid that tells me about her adrenaline production. And my suspicion is, is that with iron metabolism, recycling of her BH4, which is called biopterin, which is NAD dependent and folate dependent and other gene SNPs that make it work properly, is not recycling. And when that doesn't recycle, it doesn't make your neurotransmitters and therefore her VMA would be low. She won't be able to make enough adrenaline. And the paradox is when she gets stressed out because she's not making enough adrenaline, is she gets anxious. And some people will think, well, wouldn't that only be if she makes too much? Yeah, it would be that too. But that's what's confusing about it is you can have high adrenaline and be anxious. You can have low adrenaline and be anxious. And you don't want to just stick to one major um, generalization of if it's high, it's this, if it's low, it's that. Because many times in functional medicine, high values 
can be the same symptoms as low values and you really need to test for that. But in this case, she had low clearance of her VMA, which suggests that she is not making enough neurotransmitters to be able to handle her stress response. And that's all because everything is overactive and ultimately we're not getting to the inflammatory challenges. So I hope that made a lot of sense. So what I wanna do now is give you the three biohacks. So biohack number one is, and I will, I will um, give a link to this on either my, my profile or I, in the show notes or on my website of where you can get these sulfite and sulfate testing strips. But the sulfite and sulfate testing strips are key because now if she is attempting to make glutathione or she's depleted in her ability to make glutathione because her glutathione markers were low and I assume that she has NERF2 problems and that's why we recommended the sulforaphane, she has a problem with keeping up with the demand, making enough supply for making her glutathione and that requires a fully functioning transsulfuration pathway very complicated. We look at your genetics, um, but ultimately it takes your methyl groups and it helps to um, create glutathione. And if there's some challenges in that, you'll overproduce sulfites and you may even overproduce sulfates. So one of the ways we can tell if that's going on is to buy sulfite and sulfate strips and see, okay, is my sulfates above 10? If it is, I'm going down this pathway too quickly. If I'm going down this pathway too quickly, I can maybe stop some sulfur food, although I do not recommend that. I typically recommend that sulforaphane and that glutathione to help that out so that she doesn't have to pull all those methyl groups that she would otherwise be using for energy production and driving other reactions to detoxify and reduce inflammation. And sulfide and sulfate testing will help us understand that. Sulfate should be between 400 to 800, and if she's above that, then she's going down that pathway too quickly. If she's below that and her sulfites were high, she's not converting to sulfates, which is a big problem, and the same reason that would cause her to go down those pathways too quickly would cause her and genetic susceptibilities and environmental triggers like aluminum or heavy metals. Those will slow down the conversion of those sulfites to the sulfates and they'll be low. In that instance, a really easy, great supplement you could recommend is molybdenum. Molybdenum will help to clear your sulfites into sulfates. And even if your sulfites were high and your sulfates were high, molybdenum still could be a good product to be able to lower that sulfite because that sulfite will create a lot of distress in your body. So that's the first hack. The second hack that I want you to do is called nitric oxide testing. Nitric oxide testing. So nitric oxide is a really important nutrient that creates blood flow. It helps to vasodilate. It helps to cell signal. It helps to coordinate the immune response. And when all of those upregulations are happening, her HPA axis of transsulfuration, she's going to be low on nitric oxide. And so I'd like her to test her nitric oxide. I'll put the links to that in my, um, on my webpage. And you can see as you get better and you start controlling that, your nitric oxide levels will boost. 
And then the third factor, which is what we're using with all our clients now, is going to be the continual glucose monitor. I can't tell you how many times I have people tell me they're hypoglycemic, and then I ask them, did you take your blood sugar? And they say, no. Then how do you know you're hypoglycemic? I mean, I get that chances are you don't have insulin resistance, you exercise a lot, you're not overweight, you're, you're shredded, you're ripped, or maybe you're not, and you're not even thinking insulin resistance, but you have to think insulin resistance, where oxidative stress, inflammation, transulfuration, HPA axis dysregulation, all the things that we're talking about will cause insulin spikes. And when insulin levels are high and you eat food, it's not getting into the cell. If it's not getting into the cell, that's gonna make you feel hypoglycemic, even though paradoxically, you're hyperglycemic. When you look at your blood sugar with a continual glucose monitor, you find that you are elevated. And that needs to be understood because there's a lot of things that happen that you don't even realize that stimulate your insulin and blood sugar. One of the main ones, and perhaps we'll do a podcast about this, is when you have really, really high exposures to EMFs. So let's say your wireless router, your phone, you're sleeping it with it underneath your pillow, your router's in your room, you have a smart meter or you have a cell tower or you have a trans, uh, transmis- trans- transmitter box or, or, or power station near you, that's gonna drive up your insulin. I hate to tell you this and you need to do things that will remediate that. But suffice the lesson in this podcast today on the three hacks to be able to help with your adrenal fatigue is continual glucose monitor and doing it for 14 days And for me, it was just enlightening to just understand how life, stress, sleep, food, activity, mindset impacted EMFs, computer use, impacted my blood sugar. And I urge you to do that. So once again, the three lessons we talked about is sulfite and sulfate testing. Look for the link on my website. You wanna be somewhere between zero to 10 for the sulfites, 400 to 800 for sulfates. You wanna look at your nitric oxide, see if that's being produced. It will be red when you do your testing strips. My bet is that it's gonna be white and you're not producing a lot of nitric oxide, whole other podcast, and then the continual glucose monitor. So I hope you found that really helpful. Just make sure you like, you subscribe, and we really appreciate if you can put a comment on the, on the podcast comment section in iTunes and tell me if you're getting a lot of value out of this podcast. I would really appreciate that. And don't forget too, we do work with clients all over the world. We do a 45 minute, no obligation consultation. However, 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 don't kick tires in this instance. And that's not an offense. Uh, My time's important. And I get that you want to ask me questions. You can You can send me questions to my social media and I'll answer them. But if we're gonna dedicate 45 minutes, I want you to be serious about potentially getting better if you feel like we're a good fit for each other. And I'll give you that same promise in return where not everyone's a good fit for me. And at the end of the day, my goal for this call is to get to the truth of what's not working. What have you done? What have you tried? 
what what hats have you put on and and hypothesized as to what's not happening and what needs to be working and what you've done and what's missing and how it's impacting you and ultimately what would you be doing different if you didn't have this and then that way I can give you a game plan a step-by-step action step that I want you to take whether we work together or not but because I feel I can help you or I don't feel like you're a good fit for me doesn't change the fact that you'll still get those pieces of the puzzle for the time that we spend together but that's only if you're coming committed and ready to do something about this now and know that your life's been put on hold for so long that you need to get it back yesterday and you've been looking for a practitioner. That's what a lot of people will tell me that is. I've been looking for someone like you that can put all those puzzle pieces together that no one else has been able to do. And I get that you're frustrated. I get that you're skeptical. I get that you feel you've tried everything and nothing's worked. But if what we're talking about in our podcast with sulfite, sulfate testing, nitric oxide, continual glucose monitor, genetic testing, how well you're utilizing utilizing your fat, maladaptive adrenals, all of the connections that we made, if you've already done all of those connections, which I highly doubt that you have, I'd be willing to bet that you haven't, that I say to people like yourself, who said I've tried everything under the, the boat, everything under the moon, to get better nothing works then I challenge you on that I challenge you on that and if you feel that way even still I'm gonna go as far as saying I can tell you one of the main things that's working against you is your mindset and your belief and your certainty and knowing that you deserve to be healthy and you're gonna do whatever it takes even if you find or found or have thought that you've done everything you can to be healthy and now you're giving up. That's one of the main reasons you're still not getting better. So anyways, Dr. Joel Rosen for the truth about adrenal fatigue and the less stressed life. Until next time, have an awesome day. Thanks for tuning into today's show. If you like what you've heard and you're interested to see if you're a good fit to work with our Adrenal Awakening program, here's what to do next. Head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply and book an appointment to speak to our team. Here's how it works. We'll get on the phone for about 45 minutes and get you crystal clear on three things. Number one, where exactly do you want to be with your health and where are you now? Number two, what are the genetic components that haven't been discovered that are impacting your health? And number three, What are the environmental triggers that may be overlapping with these genetic components keeping you from getting optimal health? Remember, getting your energy back just won't happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make that happen. We've helped clients all over the world transform their lives, quadruple their energy, and fix their metabolism, and make the world a better place. To see if you can do the same thing, head to adrenalfatiguesociety.com forward slash apply. I'm Dr. Richard Joel Rosen and we'll talk to you soon.